This is the EWN Podcast Network. Good morning. You are listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. My guest today is Martin Purnell, super interesting man that I've met through our Rotary Connections. Um, Martin is the author of three books, Marathon Quest, Running to the Edge, and The Secret Marathon. And the thing that I find most interesting is he's a multi-Guinness World Record holder. Good morning, Martin. Thank you for joining me. Yes, good morning, Helen. Wonderful to be here. I love your story. And I think we should just hit it right off the bat. But tell me, tell me your story. I, you are really inspiring to me. And just so you know, you are one of the reasons I started running again. So go ahead. Well, it's, uh, yeah, let's start with the running piece. Um, for me, it kind of kicked off in, uh, in 2003 at the age of 47 when I started running. As a, as a youngster, I was, I was known as a, a huggable child, a little bit, you know, rotund, and uh, always got picked last for the different sports in England, whether it's soccer or cricket or rugby. Um, but my parents uh, love sport, and so they you know, did different sports with, with us kids. I was the oldest of six kids, but I was never um, you know, what's known as you know, an elite athlete. I never really got onto any teams, uh, but I, we did tons of sports. And so you know, during the years, I'd pick up you know, um, squash and, and, and tennis and different things. But then in uh, 2002, I got a phone call from my brother, Peter, and he challenged me to a marathon. And I, I accepted right away, Helen. I just said yes and put the phone down. But of course, I didn't, I didn't run. And so that night I went out and it was a snowy night in Sudbury, Ontario. And I ran one kilometer out and one kilometer back. And it was absolutely terrible. And, you know, I thought, what am I doing? I've got to do another 40.2 kilometers to try and do this marathon. But that was the beginning. That was the beginning of my running. And so uh, just to, just so I get it clear, too, and I don't know if any of the listeners, probably most people know, full marathon is how many kilometers? Yeah, 42.2. Um, wow. Or, yeah, or 26.1 miles. And so, you know, to, you know, to get the challenge and then to say yes, uh, I think in some ways, you know, my heart ruled my, my, my head ruled my, or my heart ruled my head. And I, because I, you know, if you can't turn down a challenge from a younger brother. And well, so... Was- yeah, no, you just can't do it. So, you know, I thought, well, I've taken this on now. And, and so the next night I ran two more kilometers, you know, two out, two back. I, to be frank with you, it was, you know, twice as bad. Like, I, I just thought, this is an, this, I just don't know how to do this. So I decided, and I followed this path many times, I decided to get some help. And I joined the Sudbury Rocks Running Club. And that made a huge difference, you know, joining a club and getting help, basically, from a number of experienced runners. Uh, there were some new runners like me, but that really sort of took me along my training road. And part of the running is not just the physical part, but it's the mental part. So I'm finding I get bored uh, quickly. Uh, you know, I'm, it's a, it's, does that make sense? Like I, it just is, I'll, I'll run on my treadmill and if I don't have the music blaring in my head, and then I just kind of get bored. So how do you run 42? And if you have no experience running and you just go out and run a kilometer, I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend that to most people. You'd want to join a running club or get a trainer, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. And, uh, but I have to tell you that, no, it doesn't make any sense at all for me about, about you being bored because I found I have a gift 
Ellen, I've got to share with you my gift, is that I can do long, slow, boring things. I can keep going and going for some reason, and I don't listen to music, uh, but for somehow, um, I, it's not an issue for me. I find, I find there's always something to look at, whether I'm outside. Treadmill running's trickier, but I, I have to admit, I do watch TV. But outside, it's, um, yeah, I don't use any music. And so, so this is when I started running and I started increasing my distance to 5K, 10K, the half marathon. And then on the fateful day in July of uh, 2003 is when I ran uh, the marathon with my brother, Peter, and my, also my younger brother, Andrew, who flew in from England. So this was a big event, you know, to take that on. Wow, what a wonderful experience to share with your siblings, isn't that? It was fantastic. And, you know, it was uh, just to have the three of us there at the start line uh, of the Calgary Marathon. The gun went off and I, I raced ahead, to be honest with you. I think I was so, you know, the adrenaline was just pumping through. Uh, and I reached the two kilometer mark. I looked back just to see where my two brothers were. And I stepped in a pothole, Helen, and went flying. I, I ended up, you know, landing on my knees and, uh, you know, blood was flowing. And But the two brothers, you know, they came along and kind of picked me up and we kept going. But uh, it was a bit of an auspicious start to my running career. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, well, good for you. <laughs> so inspiring. I would have just probably started crying and said, forget it. I don't even know that I would have signed up for it in the first place. I mean, good for oh, you. Oh, Helen, if you're challenged by a, by a sibling, you have no choice. Well, that's true. That's <laughs> true. So let's move forward. So you've done your first marathon. And it, where you, you sounds like obviously you were hooked from then. What was the next thing that happened that was so pivotal for you in your, in your new running career? Well, for me, it was, yeah, having done the marathon was, was huge. Uh, I had been going through a very difficult time because um, a year and a half prior, my wife, Wendy, had died of cancer. And I had been really in a dark place. Um, I have two children and it was, I was lost. I was really, didn't really know what to do. And the running helped me. And you mentioned the, men the mental part of running. It was a physical thing, obviously, you know, and that, that was good because I could be tired through running, but also a mental thing. It actually allowed me to, to, to help my mental state from, you know, feeling depressed and, and really know, you know, not knowing what's going on. And so I found a comp finishing the marathon was something that, you know, I couldn't believe I did, but then I wanted to do more. And in fact, I wanted to sign up for another marathon. Um, I, told, I phoned my brother, Peter, to say, Peter, are you interested? But Peter said no. He, he had done his marathon and that was it. So I signed up for the Toronto Marathon in October 2003. I ran it and I qualified for Boston. And I, I found, I, you know, finally I'd found something that I could actually do, you know, quite well. And it was one of my biggest thrills to cross that finish line in Toronto and run a Boston qualifying time. My gosh. And you were how old? At 47. I was 48 then. So I was 48. 40. Yeah, 48. And um, that was my second marathon. And, you know, and I ran a, a three hour 22 marathon. And I was so thrilled to have, have done that. And, and it really, you know, really took me in a very different direction from what my life had been. Mm -hmm. So when we had first um, talked, when we were kind of doing the pre-podcast meeting, we kind of, I was kind of hesitant to bring in this whole COVID-19 thing, um, but you were really um, 
you know, wanting to kind of tie it into, into the running. And I think it was really smart. Um, I did not know that about your first wife. There's always this bit where you find the gift in some of the most horrible things that can happen to us as human beings. Can you tell me how you can tie that in? We'll go back to what you were doing with your marathon with, uh, you know, your story as it continues, but what is the thing that keeps you positive during this? I know for me, I'm, I've started running now because, you know, you're kind of inspiring and I'm way older than 47, but uh, I really like it because it takes me out of my moment where I'm kind of freaking out right now with everything that's going on, as is everyone, I'm sure, mostly. Yeah, no, absolutely, Helen. Um, I think, you know, part of the, the approach, I guess, that I take with what we're going through now, this global pandemic, it's affecting obviously everybody. And, uh, you know, we very much have to have to live our lives almost between the four walls now. And obviously when you can, you know, get out for a walk or get some fresh air is a very basic thing that I think everyone should do both from a physical and a mental point of view. And it gives a bit of structure. So, so I think if, if you can incorporate that in whatever you're doing, uh, that is going to help you because it, it, this, you know, to me, this is this is not a sprint. This is a marathon that we're dealing with right now. And so you, it, it's a marathon. You have to look at, you know, pacing yourself is not not, you know, kind of running too fast at the start. It's a little bit like I think what we're going through, like this isn't going to be over in two weeks. It's not going to be over in two months. I think we have to think a little bit longer term. So mentally prepare yourself for that. And also, um, you know, look for strategies while while we're dealing with it. Uh, it's my wife, Sue, my, who is my second wife. You know, we're at home. Our kids are spread out all over uh, North America and in Eng and in, uh, in Wales. And so we're trying to figure out ways of communicating, uh, of doing different things with the grandkids, art projects. In fact, I even did a run recently, which was very interesting. And it was a, it was a, a global event run uh, that was held through Zoom. It was called the Quarantine Backyard Ultra. And again, just looking at ways of of participating with people through this, you know, through the virtual and remote um, accesses that we have now. So it's not easy uh, with there's ups and downs. You know, we're doing this together. And I think this is where helping each other really is important. Make connections. um, You know, when you're out, say hi to your neighbors. Uh, It's a change. We're in a change world. And I think... um, and don't, you know, beat yourself up. We are where we are. Obviously, some people are in very difficult situations financially, but let's see how we can help each other get through this. Yeah, that's well said. I love that. And, I, you know, you hit the point when you said, you know, we're just figuring out new ways to communicate. And I think in a lot of ways, we need that. We, this is a big reset for some reason from the universe, and we've got to innovate and uh, figure out new ways to, to uh, be with each other, I think. Um, you're absolutely right. So thank you for that. I just, I, uh, I'm, we're going to just take a quick break here and we'll return. My guest today is Martin Parnell and, uh, we'll be right back. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. 
My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand, and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. You're listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. My guest today is Martin Parnell. So Martin, let's continue on with it. I don't even know where to start with you because it's all so interesting to me. So you three books. So did the Guinness World Record bit, tell me about that. Did that come before the books? Yes. Yeah, so, well, it's, it's a journey. So let's, let's continue the journey. I think, Helen, that will kind of show how things have unfolded over these last, well, 15 years for me. So I talked about Running Boston, which was in 2004, um, which was amazing. And after uh, my wife died, I decided to take a couple of years off. I, I was, uh, my, my career was as a mining engineer in Canada. And uh, the last few years I had been working as the HR manager for, in Sudbury, Ontario for uh, four mines and a mill. But, but I was finding that uh, my, li- my, my job, I just couldn't, um, I just didn't find the value in it. I, you know, I'd, I had lost something and I was, I really decided to go on a journey and, you know, see if I could find, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but maybe, you know, w- what my passion was. And so I decided to take two years off. And during that time, um, I took my auntie, who was 85, to Australia for a trip. And I took up triathlon. I, I did a, a, a triathlon in Europe. But I did a, the big thing I did is I did a bike trip across Africa uh, from Cairo to Cape Town, 10 countries over four months. And I really yearned to see, the, you know, to see the continent. And you know, during that trip, what happened is I ended up doing sports with children. I ended up running, um, playing basketball, playing table tennis, and I realized the power of sport with kids. And so, you know, I came back from Africa, but uh, I still had to work. So I worked with my brother for a while. Um, but one evening, a friend of mine introduced me to a, an organization called Right to Play. And they, um, they help children and inspire children through playing sport. But instead of teaching them actual, um, you know, games, uh, they they teach them life skills, uh, leadership, team building, conflict resolution. And I realized that <clears throat> I really wanted to give back somehow. And I came up with the idea of running. At that point, I was running ultra races, 100 kilometers, 100 mile races. And I came up with the idea of running 250 marathons in one year. And um, my wife, Sue, wasn't really sure what I was thinking about and you know, uh, we talked a lot about it, but I decided in 2010 to just try and run those marathons. They were local, you know, local in my local area with my with my GPS watch. And so I started Marathon Quest 250, Helen. And really, that was the start of uh, this, you know, the books. A Marathon Quest is about running 250 marathons in one year. The highlight of the year was each week I would run at a local school. I would go to school and I would run 100 times around their soccer field. And the kids would join me and you know, at the end, they would cheer and they would give me their toonie and loony pocket money to um, to help the other children. So I, that, that was a really a path that I ended up that I've ended up taking. 
where I use you know what I can do my my gift of long doing long slow boring things and use it to fundraise to help children and as I say that's basically what I've done since then since 2010. So what where did the number 250 come out of just it was just a random because you know that's a lot Martin like that is a well, lot. I've gone from a, a kid with not a real big sports background to this person who bikes four months across the world uh, and now decide to do 250 marathon races, not in your lifetime, but in one year. So where did that come from? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, I think it came from despair. I think it came from a place where, where I was lost and I just didn't know what I wanted or what I wanted to do. And I just followed my sort of follow my intuition and found, as you do sometimes, found a passion in running that I could do. And so I just followed it. And to be honest, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I, I've sort of followed a mantra from uh, Nelson Mandela. And he said, um, he said, I never, he said, I never lose. I either win or learn. And I decided that um, at that, you know, as I kind of went on this journey, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to the word failure. Like I was just going to try my best and see where it took me. And that's kind of, I've stuck to that all the way along. So when it came to 250 marathons, I had no idea. And if I, it didn't start with 250, it started with 365 because I wanted to do a marathon, a marathon a day for a whole year. But through Sue and through my doctor, uh, Dr. Hanlon, they talked me kind of out of it and that I should do five a week which was 262. And then my doctor said, well, take, you know, take 12 as sort of um, recovery days during the, during the year, one a month, and that's 250. So it, it just worked itself out. And then the idea was to raise $250,000 for Right to Play. So Marathon Quest was run 250 marathons in a year to try and raise $250,000. Well, and you did, did you do that? I did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did it. I mean, a, you know, read the book, Helen, because I mean, lots of stories, uh, injury, uh, challenges, the weather was just wild, you know, so many days of minus 30. Um, but at the end we ended up, uh, and you know what I did, I didn't do the usual cross Canada run. I decided to run locally and then use social media to, to generate interest and to raise funds. And that, that worked out well for me. It, um, you know, in the end we raised $320,000, for the children. I am going to get your book because it's really inspiring. The part that I like about it is that uh, I believe that most of us as human beings become lost or become unsatisfied with life or what, for whatever reason happens. And I love that never lose. And, and if you can find a, a strength out of, I always, I always like to say to make good use of your disasters. And um, certainly you have done that. It's really inspiring. It's not, it's not even about the running, about the way you reframed your entire experience and turned it into an incredible thing. $250,000, you did that in one year. Okay, so here's my next question. So you do this in one year. I love that your wife and your doctor have been somewhat calming for you because 365 just... I mean, 250 <laughs> meals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what happens after you do that one year? Because you're kind of setting a bar here, aren't you? Yeah, it was kind of weird. So the you know the year was done, and it was um, 
it was phenomenal. But, you know, when you spend that amount of time doing something and then you finish, there's a bit of a letdown. You know, it's like, well, what now? Here I am. And, uh, you know, I'm at home. It was January. And Sue could tell I was I was at a bit of a loose end because, you know, I, I didn't know what to do next. And you know, Sue's very clever. So she she uh, booked me into another race, another run. <laughs> she knew I just got to keep moving. And she suggested I, I ran the Comrades uh, Ultra or the Comrades Marathon in South Africa, uh, which is an 89K race. And I'd always kind of, you know, I'd seen it. I always wanted to do it. And so what happened is she booked me in for that. But then um, I was talking to Right to Play after the after Marathon Quest. And they said, well, Martin, if you're coming over to Africa, why, why don't you go and visit the children you fundraise for in Benin in West Africa, in the country of Benin? And, you know, Benin is, and I'd never heard of Benin before, to be honest, but Benin is one of, the, if not the poorest countries in Africa. And so I said, of course, I'll come and visit the kids and, you know, spend time with them. So in June of, of uh, that year of 2011, I flew to South Africa. I ran the Comrades um, Marathon, which was amazing. And then I flew up to Benin and I visited the children. And I spent a week there and we did right to play games and I just saw how they lived. And it was, it's a tough go for the kids and for the families and the teachers. Uh, but I spent some time, but on the last day before, before I was leaving to come back to Canada, a group of the children said, Martin, we'd love to run a marathon with you. I thought, oh, that's fantastic. I'd love to run a marathon with these children. The trouble was it was plus 40 degrees. Oh, and I thought, oh my gosh. But anyway, I started running. But the good news was the, the, they stopped after 10 kilometers because they thought 10 kilometers was a marathon. So I thought, thank heavens for that. Like I would never have made a, you know, a marathon at 40 degrees. But at the end, I said to the group, and in particular, one, one girl named Parfait, I said, Parfait, what's the name of your running club? And she says, oh, we don't have a name. But she said, what a great idea. I'm going to talk to my friends and I'll come back to you with a name. So 10 minutes later, she came back and she said, We've talked and we want to be called the undefeatables. And I'm thinking, here's a group of kids, you know, three quarters of them don't have shoes. Uh, and they want to be called the undefeatables because they have an incredible spirit. And they, you know, they just, they just want, they don't want pity and they don't want charity, but they want somebody to pay attention and to give them hope for their future. And so I left, you know, Helen, I left that country. I, I, I flew to Canada. It was a 35 hour trip which gave me lots of time to think. And I got home and I went in the front door and I said to Sue, Sue, I've got an idea. She said, oh dear, what are you thinking of? And I came up with the idea of Quest for Kids. And the idea was that I would do 10 quests or fundraisers over five years to try and raise a million dollars. And of course I had done one quest, which was the marathons, but I had to come up with nine others. And so, you know, the journey continued. Now, did you, uh, did you meet that goal? Well, let's just talk through it a little bit. So part of the 10 quests, I had no idea what I was going to do. So I, you know, as you do, you get on social media and, and I put out a, a help. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for an idea for a fundraiser, but it's got to include sport um, and kids and so on. So I got a, um, a week later, I got an email from um, Alberta Netball. And netball is similar to, um, to uh, basketball, but very much played in Europe, in Australia and so on. And they wanted to do a Guinness World Record, the longest game of netball. I said, well, my sister's played netball. I've never played netball, but it doesn't matter. I can learn. 
And so in September 2011, we played 61 hours of netball and set the Guinness World Record. And from then on, uh, different people stepped forward. Uh, a friend wanted to do lacrosse, so we did 24 hours of lacrosse uh, for Guinness World Record. And another one said, oh, let's play indoor soccer. So we played 42 hours of indoor soccer for a Guinness World Record. And this is where uh, four of the Guinness records that we talked about were set during this uh, quest for kids. And at the end of 2014, I had done all my, I'd done all the 10 quests, including climbing Kilimanjaro in 21 hours and running the coast of England, a marathon a day for a month. And we raised $1.3 million for, for Right to Play. You know what? I don't think there's ever uh, a soul. Now, I, I know you personally, I know you're not boring, but oh my gosh, you are definitely not boring. <laughs> I, that's crazy to me. I think that's uh, so amazing. And so you've gone, you know, you're not afraid of anything, are you? Or are you? No, I am. No, I'm afraid of quite a bit. I'm, I'm, I'm really not a risk taker. <laughs> really? Uh, well, it's interesting. Um, I very much try and weigh up, you know, weigh up risk. In fact, you know, when I run, um, I really watch every step I take because I, I hate falling over. And so, so I think it's a case of, uh, you know, looking at what I'm trying to do. I don't worry. It's, it's, not, it's not that I'm, you know, that I um, have no fear of risk. It's I really don't have a fear of failing because I just don't believe in failing. I think that's just something made up and we beat ourselves up with, you know, oh, I can't do this. Or what will people think? And I really don't care. Like if I think it's reasonable, I'll ask for advice. Um, <clears throat> but then once I've had it, I'll, I'll make a decision to go ahead. And if it works, it works, Helen. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's one thing I think that I don't know if I just think I really think people, if they could take that on and say, you know, I'm and whether it's kids or adults, doesn't matter. I just want to try this. And you know, talk to people, make sure it's not totally ridiculous. Like I, when I talked to Sue and my doctor, you know, we kind of reframed it, but give it a go. I mean, give it a try. Yeah, I think that's really important. And, and that applies and it should apply. And you're absolutely right. We beat ourselves up so much about wanting something that different, that's different, that's maybe outside of the norm. And we are afraid to fail. And I mean, I think um, that that's super inspiring. I mean, you go that when I'm, you know, when you're starting a new business, you have that, you know, new business jitters, is this going to work? And you're kind of almost like the good and evil side on each shoulder, black and white, and trying to figure out, oh, is this going to work? Should I stay, you know, staying comfortable? And there's a lot of comfortable places people can be that doesn't necessarily mean they are happy. So I love that, that you're not afraid to try. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. There's always a learning lesson in there, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now you had a, another uh, health challenge, didn't you? Yeah. Well, after, I mean, it's this journey, it's, it just seems, you know, once, once one thing's done, something else pops up. And at the end of 2014, you know, the 10 quests were done. We'd raised that money, which was which was tremendous. And I had just started in early '15 to start my uh, professional speaking career. So as you know, as you mentioned, we you know I had a book, and so I had joined the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, and I was getting engagements. And one of them was was in Winnipeg in the middle of February with the um, Manitoba Connections. Um, a recreation group, and so I you know I was very excited to start this new you know, phase of my, my life. Anyway, a week before I was to travel to Winnipeg, I was having terrible migraines. I was 
I was feeling, you know, very sick and I went to see the doctor and he said, you know, take some Tylenol. And he said, when he said, when I come back, I should have a CAT scan. So I said, fair enough. I'll go do the talk and then, and then come back. Anyway, I went to, I, I flew to Winnipeg. I went into the conference hotel and the organizer, Suzanne said, Martin, you look absolutely terrible. She says, I'm taking you to the hospital. So uh, she got a friend of hers to take me to the hospital, to the Grace Hospital. And they took me in for a CAT scan. And half an hour later, they said, Martin, you're going into emergency. Um, we found a massive clot on the brain. And they put me into an induced coma right away. And my wife, Sue, she gets a phone call, not from me saying, hi, Sue, I'll see you tomorrow, but from the, from the hospital saying, Sue, Martin has a massive clot on the brain. You know, get him, get him to Winnipeg right away. We don't know if he's going to make it. And so my world, again, flipped upside down suddenly. Um, after I came out of the induced coma in the hospital, um, I need I needed help to go the 20 feet from the from the bed to the washroom. Whereas before I was doing all these you know uh, marathons and and Guinness World Record things, and my life was turned upside down. Did you go into any kind of depression then, or were you even aware? Like you must have. Well, what's yeah. going on now? Because that's well, kind of what life is, right? It kind of you go along. Um, one of my favorite shows, a uh, series that I loved to, to watch was The Walking Dead. And you know why? It wasn't about the zombies. And you, you get over that ridiculous part. But you kind of get into your, you're living your life. Something happens. Then you you reinvent, in, you know, to a certain degree. And you're going along and you're really happy and you're really motivated. And then for some reason, it just, like you say, it flips upside down again. Like, how do you, how do you keep your, your positive attitude? through those peaks and valleys of life. And those are pretty big peaks and valleys, I would say. Yeah, and, and you know, I'll be, let's be clear. I mean, you know, it's not all, you know, I'm really not Mr. Positivity you know, a lot of the time. Like, like it's, um, you know, it's not easy. Yeah, I mean, here I am, I'm, I'm I, you know, I've had this, I have this clot on the brain. I'm on morphine, I'm on a cocktail of drugs. I'm, I'm tired all the time from the drugs. Um, after two weeks, I'm, they, they, they got me back to Calgary into my home, but I mean, I'm sitting on the sofa, I'm looking out the window, I've got uh, double vision because there's a, there's a pressure from the clot on the optic nerve. Uh, Sue is feeding me soup. I'm just sitting there, I'm sleeping 18 hours a day. You know, I, I'm just lost again. I just, you know, my life had, you know, it, it completely changed. And so for three months, I'm sitting, I'm sitting on this sofa, I, I can't go out. Um, I, I'm, I can't read cause I've got double vision. So it was not good, Helen. And I'll be honest, I, you know, I wasn't particularly positive. I mean, I wasn't, Oh, come on. Let's, you know, all the, all the cliches. No, it was like, you know, why me? Well, you know, why am I getting this? And, and, but you know, Sue obviously helped me through. And after three months I was given the green light to start walking. So I, but for me, when I get the green light, like it's not walking down to the post box very quickly, Sue and I are up to 8k a day. Like, I really find that physical movement, uh, it's incredible. In fact, um, when I was at the hospital with the, with the clot, the doctor told me I could have died twice. And I said, what do you mean twice? And he said, well, the first time was from the clot. Another seven days, I would have been dead. The clot would have completely um, caused a, you know, a, blood, um, a bleed on the brain. But I said, what about the second time? What do you mean I could have died twice? Well, he said, my, my, my blood pressure was so high that if I hadn't been relatively fit, then I would have had a massive heart attack. And so, you know, fitness and all this running 
had started to change how I think about, you know, what I do. And really fitness is our best um, life insurance that we can have. And so, so I'm, you know, as I say, I'm sitting, just looking out the window, I'm starting to walk, but then eventually six months later, I'm given the green light to at least start doing a little bit of running. And this was in October of uh, you know 2015 and I'm still feeling pretty depressed. I'm sort of slowly getting back into, into running just a little bit. But then one, one morning, Sue gave me an article from the Guardian uh, newspaper, and it talked about the very first woman to run a marathon in Afghanistan. And her name was Zanab. And in the story, it talked about how Zanab, um, when she ran in the streets, had to put out with verbal and physical abuse. Men would call her prostitute, and they would throw chunks of concrete at her to stop running. So she went into her, her home, into her walled garden, and ran around and around inside her garden, hours on end to train. And in the middle of October, there were uh, 60 runners. There were 10 international runners and 50 Afghan men. And Zanab was the very first Afghan woman to run a marathon. And I, you know, I read this and something just, just like a switch in my brain. I said, that is just so unfair. You know, why should men be able to run and not women? And you know, I said to Sue, Sue, if I can get better, if I can run again, if I can run a marathon, then I'm going to support Zanab and head over to Afghanistan and run with her and support her. So you reached out to her. Was she surprised? Well, I was surprised. Sue was surprised, I think, before I even contacted Zanab. I mean, there was a lot of hurdles to get over because, um, you know, just getting to Afghanistan, getting the visa on and on, there were so many challenges along the way. The, the organization that had actually helped Zanab do the run was, is called Free to Run. And they're a charity. Uh, based in Afghanistan, and I contacted them first because I wanted to make sure that they were okay with me coming over. And so they said, yeah, there's a group coming over for 2016, Martin. If you want to join them, you can. Uh, but it was a crazy year, Helen, of, of you know getting back to running, having finished the meds, and then um, just dealing with the issues of, of going to Afghanistan. I mean, you, you know, you read the stories, right, of the yes. terror, the oh, Taliban, yes. the bombs. And so I had to, I had to see if it was even possible. And you talked about risk earlier. And again, I tend to analyze. So I looked into who could I travel with? And there was a group called Untamed Borders who actually took the 2015 runners over. So I thought, well, at least there's a group that you can go with. I looked at visas. I looked at, you know, what the government of Canada was saying. And it was a pretty, you know, crazy year building up to October 2016 and actually traveling to Afghanistan. I'm sure. I mean, uh, was there any time when you were uh, fearful or you, you don't look at fear anymore, do you? Oh, no, I'm, no, 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 absolutely no. And it's not fearful for myself. It's fearful for other people and the consequences of my actions. And especially when it comes to Sue and our kids and grandkids. I mean, you have to be aware of all of this. And I had to weigh it up. And it wasn't an easy decision. Um, I had met a filmmaker, Kate McKenzie, and she wanted to go and film um, the, you know, the women in Afghanistan, and she decided to run her first marathon as well. And so it was not an easy decision. Um, and all the way along, it was in question. In fact, the visa only arrived the morning of the flight to Afghanistan. My gosh. Yeah, it was up, it was, it was up in the air until, until six hours before I actually flew out to uh, Frankfurt and then on to Istanbul and, and uh, Kabul. So it was uh, just as I say, right on the edge until I actually left. 
you know, I'm, I'm not very often at a loss for words, but just an incredible, you've had an incredible journey. And I love the bits that you pull out of it that apply in everyday life, whether you're running in Afghanistan or, or for whoever, to be so intentional in thinking about the consequences of your actions, not necessarily anyone else's. It, it's all about what we can control, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, and, and this is it. That's, and I think you've hit the nail on the head is, is you know, if we're realistic, it's we can actually probably control more than we think, okay? But I think it's that balance of understanding this is as much as I can do, whatever happens next happens. Because what, what happened when I went to Afghanistan is actually Zanab couldn't run with me. Uh, she, was, she had a new job and she was in a different part of the country and she couldn't, she couldn't come to, to that second marathon Afghanistan. So here I am, you know, Helen, I'm in Afghanistan thinking I'm going to run with Zanab and she's not there. Okay. So I'm thinking, why am I here? Like, you know, why am I across, you know, halfway around the world in this mountainous, you know, country of Afghanistan? And the reason I went, Zanab just didn't make it. But what happened was, and this seems to happen, is uh, I was introduced to a young woman named Kubra. And I was asked by Free to Run to talk Kubra out of running the marathon and run to ask her to run the 10K because. Four months prior, Kubra's uh, best friend had been killed in a, a Taliban attack at a school. And so uh, Kubra really wanted to run the marathon, but I was asked, please talk her out of it because you've got to respect the marathon. I mean, it's a tough run uh, with the hydration and nutrition and so on. So I did, I talked to Kubra and I said, Kubra, I don't think you should do the marathon. You should do the 10K. And she was pretty disappointed. But, but along this, this trek that we did when I talked to Kubra, she told me how when she trained, um, she took along some special running gear and she took the bottles and the, and the hydration and, and the nutrition, but also she wore knuckle dusters. So she wore a pair of knuckle dusters and her friend took pepper spray to stop men from attacking her. I mean, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking, what is, you know, what are we, what's happening here where women have to wear knuckle dusters and carry pepper spray? And what happened is, you know, I, I talked Cooper into doing the 10K, but that night I'm thinking, you know, Cooper really needs to run the marathon. You know, 10K, she's run 10K before. That's not going to, that's not going to do it. So I decided to ask her if she wanted to run with me and we run together to try and do the marathon in under the seven hour cutoff. And the next morning I asked her and she was so happy and said, yeah, let's do it together. And, and you did. Well, <laughs> It's in the book, but I will. Okay, I'll give you a peak view of what happened. It's so more it's, fun to hear it from you right now. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to tell you. I have to tell you. I'm so excited. So the run started at 8 a.m. and it started at 9,000 feet uh, in, the, in the, the foothills of the Hindu Kush mountains in Barmian. And the, it was an out and back. So the first half went up. It was on the road up to 10,500 feet. And so, you know, Cooper and I started and we got to the turnaround <clears throat> at three hours and 36 minutes. So we were behind, you know, if we had a seven hour cutoff, we were behind in our run and, and Kuba was suffering. She had, you know, stomach cramps, but I said, come on Kuba, let's see what we can do. And because it was downhill, she, you know, we ran, we, we sort of got some speed going and the next 10 K was pretty good, but then she really started to suffer. And, you know, we were walking lots and I said, come on Kuba, let's see if we can do it. 
So with 15 minutes to go, we had one and a half kilometers to go. And I said, Cooper, we're only going to make it if you start running. Well, she started to run and we finished, we crossed the finish line in six hours and 52 minutes. So we had eight minutes to spare uh, under the cutoff. And it was just, you know, it's probably the slowest marathon I've ever run, uh, Helen, but it was really one of, uh, one of the happiest that I, that I had because, you know, I, I feel I helped Cooper achieve her goal. And it was just amazing. You absolutely did. I mean, what a gift to give to another human being, Martin. I mean, she's never going to forget those moments. Well, and, and for me, this is where this is where my running's evolved to now is I really want to help other people achieve their goals. I mean, I, you know, I love running, but it's but it's a different, you know, I have different goals now to when I started running, which was, you know, physical fitness and then trying to, you know, qualify for Boston and then fundraising, which has been great. But but, you know, running with Cooper now is sort of, you know, passing the baton, right, is is sharing what we know to help others achieve their goal. Absolutely. And, and not just about physical goals. This is, uh, this, this can encompass everything, all goals, larger, you know, maybe not as lofty as to Afghanistan, but as you know, I think the important thing is you really have to look and dive deep into yourself to decide what it is you want and losing that fear and taking those steps, isn't it? Well, absolutely. And in fact, you know, through my speaking and through the books, I, I also have developed um, a one-day workshop called Finish the Race Attitude. Uh, set goals, overcome obstacles, and achieve outstanding results. And, and I've, had, you know, I've had workshops with um, recently with Indigenous men and women looking to set goals as they you know, move towards employment. And it's something we can all do, whether it's uh, my, my granddaughter, Autumn. Um, you know, I talked to her about setting goals and following a path you know, to achieve. And so, you know, and again, whether you make it or not, it's really about that, you know, I never lose, I either win or learn. And, and I think that that will, that will take people a long way. Absolutely right. And I think when, and as you're going along with these goals that you've set, um, I think people get, uh, you know, off the path because they don't realize there's going to be obstacles, you know, and it's gone back to that Walking Dead uh, series is, you know, the zombies are just zombies, but they're just metaphors all over the place where you think you're going along and you think you're uh, going on the path you want to. And sometimes something happens where it's like, oh my gosh, now I have to figure out how I'm going to survive this. And it's very scary to always be reinventing it's kind of goes down to I know when I'm coaching people you know it's like why can't you just be happy with what you have well it's not about it's not about that it's about the personal bits inside that makes you uh, what's the word I want it, it makes you help me here well I think I think you know for me I'm thinking about where we are right now you know we have to be in some ways you know, we have to accept where we are. I think acceptance is one of the things is understanding where we are. Okay. Mm -hmm. What's going on. And then just being, being, giving yourself the permission to, okay, now let's kind of think outside of what's going on. Let's look around and be aware because it comes back to what you said earlier about what we can control and what we can't. And I think, I, I think that that is something we all struggle with. And particularly now, Helen, through this, you know, through this pandemic, um, we're really struggling with what we control, what we can control, what we can't control, because what's happened is the things we can control have been definitely, you know, limited, right. In terms yeah. of personal movement and so on. But I think there's a, there's a, there's a case to be said for now. Well, let, let's see what we can control. 
let's see what we can do. So be aware of what's going on, um, you know, out there through, through whatever, you know, social media or, you know, contact with family and friends and, and be open to do different things, whether it's, you know, having, having, you know, family nights, game nights. Um, I'm playing chess with my, with my, uh, with my grandson right now. We just started playing chess. Um, we're looking at doing a fun thing where um, I've challenged him to climb Mount Everest virtually. So Everest is 29,000 feet and base camp is 17,600. And so that's around 11,000 feet. And so we're going to be climbing 200 steps a day, okay, up and down our, our steps in our, in our room, in our house. Mm-hmm. And so we're, it's going to take 90 days to climb Everest. But I think that's where, you know, we can have some fun things and do things together that, you know, that changes things, that allows us to get through this and then to move, you know, beyond, you know, COVID-19 and where we're at. Yeah, and, and it's and again, it's about setting goals. And um, I don't know if you've known this about me, but I actually uh, have skied the equivalent to Everest. I'm going to brag about myself here. I skied uh, the equivalent of Everest twice in a um, – ski uh, fundraiser for the Red, Canadian Red Cross years oh, wow. ago. Yeah, like 20 years, 25 years ago. And so I remember uh, thinking, should I even do this? I mean, I've skied my whole life and it's like, oh, I don't know, should I do it? And the goal was to ski the equivalent of Everest. And I did it twice in one day. So That's amazing. That's fantastic. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. I was pretty proud of myself. Yeah. It was that thing where you think, okay, what can I do that's kind of cool and, and gives back to the community? And uh, I don't know if I can do it. And then all of a sudden you exceed what you want to. That That's such a powerful place to be as a human being. And it, Well, I've, you know, one thing I've learned, <laughs> one of the things is over these last, you know, um, gosh, since 2010 or even before, is that you know, sometimes we look at things and think, oh my gosh, like, you know, can I do it? So, so my approach is if I look at something, it's got to have a 50, 50 chance of success. Okay. I've got at least, you know, it can't be, it can't be like 90, 10 where it's impossible. And the thing is, if you pick something that is, you know, that you've done before, well, you've done it before. So, so look at something that, you know, may, you may not be able to do it. What I found is where I think it's a 50, 50 chance of success when I look back at those things that I've tried, I've actually succeeded 90%. So, so I think we can, I really believe we can do more than we think we can do. And the only thing holding us back is that fear of failure. That's it. So, so, you know, get a feel for yourself, look at something, you know, come up with an idea and yes, it may not work, but the worst thing is not trying it. That's the worst thing. And the worst thing about that piece too, is that if you, uh, you said, it doesn't work and uh what uh instead of saying it's a failure and it, and it, it you know it didn't wash what were the lessons that you learned for even 10 percent of that little bit of your journey what was the lesson that you can take out of it in order to apply to something else because you're never going to run out of goals i think i don't well, know no and that's right and, and and let me just continue the journey exactly on your point about um, taking something on and not achieving it. So, so two years ago after uh, you know, I went to Afghanistan and did the run, uh, the third book came out, the, the, the secret marathon, but I'd realized that uh, my running was getting into a rut. I was just running, I was getting slower and slower 
And I thought, Martin, I have to shake my running up. I, don't get me wrong. I love the, you know, I love the, the, the long runs, but I was finding I was getting too close to missing the cutoff times on some of these races. So I decided that I wanted to speed up. <laughs> so this is speeding up after, you know, after 15 years. And so what I decided to do was a little project, again, setting goals, where I realized that in 2003, I had set my four personal best times in the 5K, the 10K, the half marathon, and the marathon. So this was in, this was when I was 47 in 2003. So in 2018, at the age of 63, oh, sorry, 62, I decided I wanted to beat my four personal bests. So I, caught, I set up a project called 62 Beats 47, and I hired a coach. And for one year, I did a, a rigorous training regime with my coach, Malt Kent, and we took on those challenges. Now, the short story is I didn't beat my personal best. Okay, I did my best. I got faster, but I didn't beat them. But again, it's, I learned so much in taking on that challenge, in learning uh, strength exercises, stability exercises, um, all sorts of things from my coach that I've taken with me on my journey, you know, beyond there. And so this is the book, The Ageless Athlete now, um, hopefully we're coming out next year, just about that story. I didn't, as I say, Helen, I didn't achieve those goals, but it was just an incredible journey on, le on learning and, you know, finding more about myself. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, well, I don't think I know, um, just from my business, uh, the gift of being present, trying to find your kind of where it fits into the whole bit. It, it A, does not happen overnight. And B, you have to, it's really hard work. It's really hard work getting to know who you are, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's, it is hard work. Yeah. I mean, I was late to the game. You know, people talk about find your passion. Okay. Well, I think I was, I feel I'm, I was lucky in finding it when I was 47. I mean, you hear of young kids who find their passion through music or art or, you know, earlier. Well, that's great. Right. And that's, I mean, I, I wish them if they find it, that's so that's fantastic. But it took me a while. So first of all, it's never too late, you know, to find what, to find something that you really love and you want to follow. So don't think it's over at 50. Okay. Cause it's not. Um, and then once you found it, follow your intuition, you know, follow your heart and just see where it leads, you know, leads you. And don't, don't panic. Um, and there'll be ups and downs, but just go with them. I think sometimes we try and determine a path that, you know, we're pushing through, but it's really not the path, you know, when you, when you look at what's going on. So self-awareness and awareness of others will help along that journey. Yeah. And, and proceed with caution for sure. I like that you, um, you know, I, I like that you have your, your wife and your doctor to kind of go, okay, hold on, you know, let's just, you know, kind of pull it in here a bit. Um, but they do it in a way that uh, they know what will work for you. That that's wonderful to have that kind of support in your life because a lot of people do not have that. And I think also to be intentional uh, about, everything you do, but not intentional to the point where it slows you back, but just that you've taken the time to look at, you know, all sides of the situation. Absolutely. You know, you, could, you be reflective kind of when you have an idea, look at it, work it around, but also ask for help. Like I, to be honest, that's the only way that we can, we can help ourselves is to help others and ask help, get ideas. Um, but then make a decision based on that. It's don't, you know, 
we hear a lot of advice. We'll hear, do this, do that, don't do that. But, you know, take it in, absolutely. But then decide what you want to do. And, and you'll know, in your heart, you'll know if that's the right, right course. You won't know the answer and you won't know the outcome. I mean, you have, you have hoped outcomes, but if you follow that, no matter what the outcome is, it'll be the right one for you. Absolutely. And that the universe always provides exactly what you need in order to have the very best for your life. You just have to trust it. And I think that's another word that comes into play here is, is trusting that you are being brought along your path for where you need to be. But it is hard work and it isn't, uh, you know, I love, you know, that's the thing about watching movies and you watch all of these inspirational stories of the work that, not just the personal work, but the outside work, like your your gal in Afghanistan who who had to worry about rocks being thrown at her for Pete's sake. Like, I mean, that we don't see that here. Uh, and so I think that's really important when you think you're having, you know, rocks thrown at you try having real rocks thrown at you you know what i mean what i'm trying yeah to- yeah no absolutely and i think um by by seeing these things and seeing what others have been through again it helps you it's it's sort of it's sort of getting tools that you can pick up along the way and as you move forward in life as we move forward in life uh you, these tools can help you when you see what others have to deal with building that broader perspective um, you know, almost globally as to what's going on and being, being aware of it is, I think is all part of, you know, what, what your journey will, will be added to. And so it's like, you know, it's sort of like, you know, coloring a painting is different, the different hues, the different colors come in, but it's your painting. I think that's the key to it. And you will build it at a rate that, you know, works for you, but things like persistence, determination, discipline, I'm sorry, that's what you got to do. This isn't a gimme. This isn't, you know, we see this on social media and it's like, you know, what about these celebrities and stars? Well, good for them. I mean, you know, they do whatever they want to do. Um, but I think for us, uh, you know, th- there's a path to take. And, and many of them have, have also worked very hard. I mean, it seems like they're instant successes. You know, for a lot of them, no, they've, they've put the time in. And I think that's, that's a key part of it. Yeah, and, and that's right. And so when you see the celebrities and, you know, we're kind of chasing that goal of being, you know, the richest person on the planet or whatever. But, you know, these, these people are still just human beings. And what happens when you reach the pinnacle at 30 now what happens? And and so I don't know if I like that you said, you know, you were late off the start. I think you had a whole bunch of experiences in your life that brought you to that point, whether it was your brother, it was a challenge because you can't turn it down a sibling, but there was a reason that that was asked of you. And so I'm, it's not like you throw back your experiences from the previous 40 years and just go forward. You're taking all of those experiences with you as you walk along your, or run along in your case in your, on your path. Right. Exactly. Yeah. What's next for you then? Gosh. Well, here we are. (laughs) Here we are, Helen. No pressure, Martin. (laughs) No, no, here we are. That's that's a great question. Um, At the moment, Sue and I are spending a lot of time with the family, uh, with the two grandsons. Um, They're in Montreal and, you know, we're, we're, uh, Sue does art projects with them and, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do stuff with them Uh, longer term. I mean, you know, obviously, we're hoping this will this will come through. You know, I mean, I'm guessing, and uh, who knows? But maybe in the fall, this will come around. But a couple of things are kind of in the works. The um, hopefully the the the, the Aces Athlete book will be out in the spring of next year, which will be very exciting. And the um, the Secret Marathon film, 
we had had it, it had been in film festivals and it, it was going very well. And we were, we we're looking for a distributor. And in fact, we had a distributor um, lined up for five countries for Canada, the US, UK, Australia, New Zealand to actually show the film on June the 10th. But of course that's been canceled. So, so that uh, theater release will probably happen uh, in November, December. So, so those are kind of two fun things coming up. The other thing that, that I'm involved with is the Secret 3K. And that's an event where every year uh, in support of um, Zanab and the women in Afghanistan and the Girl Guides of Canada who have become involved, we do a 3K. And there's, it's in 15 uh, cities across Canada with the support of Running Room, but it's also virtual. You can download the bib and download the training program. And so we've had, we've had runners all over the globe uh, doing that event, which was on March the 4th. So it just went ahead before everything shut down. So we're looking forward to that event uh, next um, next March in 2001. So there are things coming up. I'm going to keep training and you know keep going, and we'll see what comes out of this. I mean, this is another situation, you know, with the pandemic that um, you know we have to be smart. We have to follow you know follow the guidelines, follow the rules, and and really kind of go with it and see what happens. But also. You know, look for ways of helping others. I mean, I'm, I belong to Rotary. Uh, we're very much, now we've switched from face-to-face -face meetings to Zoom meetings. We're looking at ways of helping people in the community. And so this is a big part of what I'm doing right now is working with Rotary um, in, one of the in one of the leadership positions in helping others and you know, trying to help us get through this situation. Yeah, and that's when those organizations like run, you know, I'm a huge fan of Rotary and, uh, and the work that they do. And, and, you know, that's all volunteer, which says a lot. And, you know, now we can volunteer uh, to, you know, because we have the time to, but for, to dedicate yourself to that when you are busy, you know, living your life on regular uh, without COVID-19 uh, around. But um, I think that's wonderful to be able to reach out and help and help other people as well. Martin, I, you know what, I, you know, I think you're this pretty cool guy. I, uh, every day I go running now, I'm like, oh, I wonder what Martin would think. So I might have to do that 3K thing. That I can do. <laughs> I Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a great event. Um, we've done it. This will be, gosh, we've done it three years now. This will be the fourth year coming up. And it's such a cool event uh, having, you know, boys and girls, parents, adults come out. 3K, we can, we can all pretty much do 3K, whether we walk it or walk, run it or whatever. And it's just a great way of supporting the community and supporting others who, you know, have, have challenges. Um, we can all get out there and, you know, safe places, safe races and, and work with each other, whether it's a school or whatever. So it, it's a really nice event. Well, I look forward to talking to you more about this, but I wanted to thank you uh, so much for taking your time today. Super, super interesting. I uh, definitely have got to get uh, those, uh, those books now. I'm, I'm uh, very inspired to read them. Uh, next time I uh, feel like running a marathon, which maybe never, I'll definitely be calling you for some uh, training tips. But oh, Helen, don't worry. Yes, I have. I have. Um, well, you're so lucky. No, you're so lucky. I have training programs for the 5K, the 10K, the half and the full. So awesome. absolutely, yeah. No pressure. Well, I would love to do that. I think it's just really, I mean, it's really inspiring to do that. So that's a good a new goal for me to to look at as well. Martin, thank you so, so much for joining me today. And um, that's a wrap. Helen, thank you so much. It was 
It was wonderful sharing the journey with you. Yeah, it was lovely. Okay, well, we'll be in touch, I am sure. Okay, take care. Bye now. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. To learn more about Helen's journaling retreats, speaking engagements, and life coaching, or to sign up for her newsletter, please visit HelenRose.ca. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.